Thanks for joining the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, where we discuss best practices in HR, hot topics, strategy, and employment law changes that have an impact on business. Follow us on our website at www.zeniumhr.com to get access to our articles, alerts, and to listen to other podcast episodes. And now, here's your host, Brandon Laws, with today's episode. Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. My name is Brandon Laws, and I'm with Lacey Halpern, a returning guest. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. We are going to talk about interviewing today, and uh, in previous times, we've always come up with questions and and outlined this, but we're really just going to shoot from the hip today, aren't we, Lacey? Yes, we are. Yeah. yeah. So let's just kind of start at the high high level here. What do you want employers to know about interviewing? It is such a hot topic right now. Um, here in Portland, many, many of my clients are finding it really difficult to find the talent that they need. Uh, the market has changed, and so I think if there's maybe one thing I would want employers to know, and it's something I'm telling my clients, is that if we're strategic about our interviewing, if we spend time in the beginning ensuring that we're hiring excellent employees, we avoid pain and heartache down the road. So it takes time to set up those systems and and get your managers trained, but it is absolutely worth the investment. About how many interviews should probably take place during the the course of the interview period with maybe one person? Gosh, it really depends on on the position, I think, and, and probably even the size of your organization. You know, if you're bringing somebody in three times, four times, I'd say that's too many. Bringing them in as in physical in-person yeah. interviews. Yeah, that just seems like um, maybe we're not getting the right information from the beginning, so let's look at what questions we're maybe asking, or maybe we're being redundant and maybe we don't have the right people in on the interviews. It's okay to have multiple interviewers in one interview. I think folks are uh, used to panel interviews now. I think you know maybe 20, 30 years ago it was more one-on-one, but now as organizations have grown and with the you know, business is focusing on team collaboration. I think it is more common to have a panel interview. So have the right people involved from the beginning so that they're not having to come in three or four times down the road and ask the same questions because that's, that's and not speaking efficient. Speaking of the, the very beginning of the process, I've heard of people doing phone screens or written screens or doing some sort of filtering system before you actually bring somebody in. Yeah. So tell me about what you've seen throughout the process whether it's been a phone screen, Skype interview. Yeah. Tell me about that. It really depends. So there there are lots of vehicles through which you can get information from a candidate before they even walk into your business. So you mentioned phone screens. I think that's a really effective way to get some of the basic information from a candidate. I think that it's it can be helpful, especially if you've got folks that are maybe more remote or maybe your location is remote. So asking them to come in for an interview, you can get a lot of great information in a phone screen. It's usually shorter, um, maybe 20, 30 minutes. We're, we're really not focusing on culture in that, in that interview. We're really focusing on do they have the basic skills to be uh, a good fit for the position, maybe clarifying some questions we had from the application. It's actually another really good tool is in, if you've got an online application system, a lot of companies are moving to using those because it simplifies things for tracking. Some of those systems, you can implement questions, and you can even create um, filters where if a candidate is using a certain term, 
um, they either fall under one category, which is maybe we need to contact this person right away, or maybe if they've left something out or they put something in there, it might screen them out into maybe your B pile, so the lower candidates that maybe are not going to get the first. It sounds interview. like there's some risk with using applicant tracking systems where it really automates that process. It can, yeah. You can miss out on really top candidates just because maybe they didn't use a buzzword that you had identified. So I think having somebody that's skilled in reviewing application information and you know, just because somebody maybe gets moved into the B pile, my experience is I would still be looking at those applications because um, you know, you want to ensure people follow directions, they answer the questions if you've put questions on there, but you don't want to miss out on somebody who could be a really good fit. So I think it's sort of a balance of both. You have to use both. And Skype is also a good tool, especially if you have positions where it's difficult to find talent in, in your town or in, in the city that you're in and you're looking at folks that are maybe relocating from other states, other parts of the country. So using Skype or other tools like that is a great way where you can get that face-to-face -face interaction because that's important. You need that when you're in an interview. That's why people don't just interview over the phone usually. Effective interviews happen because you're paying attention to body language. Body language is so important. So yeah. important, yeah. And Skype is, you know, just one tool. And it's, I mean, you're only really seeing the top portion of them. And it's kind of awkward, but I think it's better than just relying on a phone interview. And it's more cost-effective than flying in a candidate from across the country when you're not quite sure they're going to be yeah, the right so fit. So talk about that. When, yeah. you, when, you're, when you're dealing with remote people or people from other states where you can't find the talent, as you said, in the local area, who pays for huh, the plane a, and the stay during that interview? It's a good question. You know, I think larger organizations often cover that, mm -hmm. you know, and for um, higher level positions, C-level positions, the company's usually going to, you know, foot the bill like for that, <laughs> right? And, you know, a smaller organization, maybe not. So trying to coordinate when um, maybe a candidate has a trip already planned to the area, maybe they're relocating because they're seeing family. So like, are you going to be coming in to see your family anytime soon? Maybe we can coordinate an interview around that. So it really just depends on your budget. But if you know that you're going to be relocating people, you know there's no talent where you're at, including in the tickets, you know, flight costs, um, hotel, um, room and board, taking them out to dinner, showing them around the town, all those things, that should be included in your recruiting budget. So just be thinking about that. I think it's important. We, we know it's a job seekers market right it now. Is. But can you talk about signs from either side? Like if it's an employer's market for, sure. for you know, having a pool of skills skilled employees to choose from or if it's a job seekers market, just some signs from either side. Yeah, I think the economy is a really good sign. So when there is high unemployment rates, lots of talent out there, people looking for work, it's an employer's market, right? So there's the supply is higher than the demand. It's a good way to put it. It's a job seekers market right now because there are a lot of jobs out there. People are hiring and there are few people to take those jobs. And I'm not saying that our unemployment rates are just so low that there's there's nobody not looking for work. I mean, there's people that are looking for work, right? But it's it's specific niches. It's what we're hearing from our clients and what we're even experiencing ourselves is that finding people that can, you know, fit the unique needs of each business, that's the challenge. Sure, we could fill a position, right? We could hire somebody off the street to come in and do the job, but really finding people that have the unique talents to fill the jobs, that's the struggle. And that's where we see it's it's more of a job seekers market than an employer's market. It's challenging. Let's talk about the the interview process. You'd mentioned like I think in the phone screen you shouldn't be necessarily looking for a culture. 
uh, more for competency, but assuming everybody, the peep, the candidates that actually get to the interview stage where you're sitting face to face like you and I are right now, what are you looking for in those interviews? The, maybe the first in-person, second in-person, and if it goes longer than that, what are you looking for at that point? Because you assume everybody has probably the skills to do the job. Sure. Right? Yeah. If you've, if you've reviewed the application, ideally you've already identified whether they're going to be a fit based on experience, uh, skill set competencies. I think what you're looking for when you're doing an in-person interview with somebody is focusing on what competencies that you couldn't glean from an application. So, for example, if we're hiring a receptionist and we identify that in the application they mention that one of their duties at a previous job was managing a switchboard, for example, I'm probably not going to ask about that skill set in the interview because they've already listed it on their application. I can verify it when I check references, right, after we've made a, a conditional job offer to the candidate. So I think the interview, the, the purpose of that is to identify competencies like teamwork, collaboration, things like that, and then also focusing on culture. So identifying what are the, the company values that you have, that's the first step. If you don't have those identified, it's very difficult, nearly impossible, to ask questions that are going to glean information from someone about whether they're going to fit into that company culture. So you almost work backwards. You identify what's the value. So if the value is um, that somebody provides open and honest feedback, we're going to ask a question about maybe a time where they had to do that or maybe how they would handle a situation that was challenging where we would expect someone to give open and honest feedback. And those are behavioral and situational questions. And I try to ask those types of questions um, in an interview because you want to know how somebody might react in a situation or how they've handled things before. Something comes to mind just about verifying if somebody has the skills. What role, and you don't have to answer this if you, if you can, you don't feel comfortable doing it, but what role does social media play in verifying people's competencies? Something comes to mind with LinkedIn. Right. You have all the skills that are listed and people can, you know, they can click the button that verifies. And that sometimes can be a little, you know, like some, somebody uh, recently uh, said I had skills of recruiting and I'm not an HR person, I'm a marketing <laughs> guy. So I actually got rid of that from my profile. But some people may add skills that they really don't have. Um, and people can endorse them for those. But what about like reviews or um, content people are publishing or just something to support what they're already saying in the interview? Do yeah. you, Can you use that? I think so, yeah. I think LinkedIn is a great tool, and a lot of people are putting their LinkedIn profile, um, the, the um, site where you could go and look them up, on their resume. So I think that is a good tool. I think you have to be careful, so I'm glad you point that out, that anybody can just get endorsed by their, their buddy that's down, down the hall in the office um, for a skill set. So it's a balance. It's a balance of references, which could be endorsements on LinkedIn. It could be letters of recommendation. It's interesting. I, I recently had a client tell me they had a candidate that had asked for a letter of recommendation when they left. And um, they actually kind of talked with this person and, and said, you know, we really feel like things are shifting away from letters of recommendation and we'd rather endorse you on LinkedIn. And I'd rather provide a recommendation to you on LinkedIn because it stays there forever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something you can easily advertise to future employers should you, should you need to do that. So um, I think things are shifting a little bit. And, and I know 
you know, when, when we're doing recruiting, we're not necessarily getting letters of recommendation um, anymore. And it used to be six years ago when I was really heavily focused on recruiting, um, when I was working in the staffing world, that was a lot more common. People would come to an interview with a letter of recommendation. I did that even when I, when I applied at Zenium. Um, almost six years ago. So I think things are shifting, but LinkedIn is a great tool. I certainly would not encourage employers to be uh, Googling applicants or uh, looking people up on Facebook or Twitter. Those are not good vehicles through which we can gain information because there are things you can find in there that are protected and just things that employers shouldn't know about an applicant and have no bearing on um, whether someone is competent to do the job. But LinkedIn is a professional um, social media site that the purpose of it really is to network and to to further someone's professional career. So I think it's a good tool. Talk about the interview process some more with as it, re- as it relates to questions. Sure. So in the in- in-person interview, let's assume first in-person interview, second mm-hmm. panel, whatever it is, what sort of questions are you asking? Are you asking competency-based questions and maybe some examples of those too, and then culture-based questions as well? Sure. Yeah, so I actually I have one client that – they, they kind of break it up into three parts. One is a phone screen where they're asking some simple questions just about skill set, verifying things on the application. It's fairly short, maybe 15, 20 minutes. The next in-person interview involves leadership teams. So they have the supervisor of the position in this. Um, sometimes the owner is in this. And this is a small business, less than 30 employees. So the owner is, has the ability to be involved in a large organization that's likely not feasible. And in that interview, they're asking questions about competencies, really focusing on the specific job that we're hiring for and how this person's previous experience is going to be relatable. And then in the third interview, it's actually a team interview where they've asked the candidate to come prepared to interview the team, which is an interesting technique, right? So especially if you've, you've got a position where communication is a really um, important uh, competency that someone would have to have. Now, the whole interview is not focused that way, but they certainly set it up that that person's going to be, like, come prepared to ask questions of our team. Um, these are people that are going to be, that are in the same role as you or have been in the same role as you before. And then the team is also sort of vetting out and making sure that this person's going to be a good fit. And we do something similar at Zenium, too. you do that too. based on questions that the applicant, the the candidate is asking of the panel. It's part of it, right? So you would, you can, you can make an assessment. Because there are bad questions. There are, yeah. I mean, if, if someone just comes in and asks, you know, what do you guys do at your, at your company parties? Maybe that'd be a good fit for some company, somebody that's really interested in that. Uh, maybe it's an event planning company and, and that fits in. I don't know. But for, for us here at Zenium and for a lot of my clients, that, um, opportunity really, helps determine how much research have they done about us. Hopefully some, right? With with the way that um, the internet is, I mean, all of the information about our company is is out there. So they should have done some research, looked some stuff up, um, and they should come with questions. And so that's not the whole part of, of that interview for that particular client. I would say it's probably not even half of it. A large portion of it is the team asking questions of this person. And the one thing I'll point out about that is you want to make sure that any person that's involved in the interview process has been properly trained on interviewing because we can easily, without even trying to or without even knowing it, cross over lines that can get an organization into trouble, right? So asking questions that are related to protected statuses. Um, and usually it doesn't happen because we're trying to be nosy or inappropriate. 
Usually, we're building rapport, trying to get to know someone, and information gets shared. And um, the risk there is just that the, if a company chooses not to make a hiring decision, that we really have a strong business reason for doing so because we've gained information that um, could be potentially something that an employer could discriminate against someone with. So just having your employees um, attend a hiring training or be trained by your internal HR person or um, join us here at one of our Zenium Intelligent Hiring Trainings or our Strategic Interviewing Trainings, I think those things are critical. Talk to me about formats. Uh, you'd mentioned maybe early on in the, the process, maybe there's one or two people involved from the hiring or interviewing standpoint, and then later on maybe a panel. But when you have that many people involved, it's probably hard to get them involved in the interview. Yeah. So are there things that they could be doing, or have you seen structures like one person's taking notes, or you, you everybody comes up with a set of questions and you take turns? Like, what have you seen? I've seen a variety. You know, if there's maybe two people, one person taking notes and another person asking the questions, I think that works. Sort of feels more like an interrogation, though, because that's often the... Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, it's a structure of, of an investigation oftentimes in the HR world is like that. So, you know, if if there's multiple people in the interview, I think everybody should be asking questions. I think it should be structured. So everybody has the same set of questions, and we maybe go through a rotation around the table, and everybody takes a turn. Um, and then you can always ask more probing questions and dig deeper if a candidate's not maybe answering all the way or they've shared something and you're interested in, in asking some additional questions. I think that's fine, but you always want to make sure that all applicants are being asked the same set of questions, and that would be difficult to do if each interviewer came with their own set of questions. Um, and so I think just getting everybody on the same page. And, and again, it just goes back to having this process dialed in before you start recruiting if you can. So if you haven't started hiring, now's the time to be thinking about, we have plans for growth, let's get this all dialed in because you want to have questions that are um, created based on position, right? So I'm not gonna ask the same questions of somebody who's hiring, being hired for a receptionist as I maybe would for somebody who's being hired to be a payroll specialist right? Different set of skills, different set of competencies. Culture-based questions are likely the same though. So across your organization, you've got the same, ideally, culture that's established, the same set of values. And so those those questions, I think, can be um, really transferable across the board. So When I'm in an interview, I try my hardest to look people in the eyes yeah. and really pay attention to their body language and, and really try to make that connection. But I often find that I can't jot down notes during that because it's in a way disrespectful. Mm -hmm. That said, have you seen or is it allowed to where you could record an interview, either audio or have a video camera? Yeah, you know. It's weird. I've never seen it. I haven't ever. Like going back, like especially if you have a really high sought after, like a CFO or something, like if it's a really important position and you're doing what I just described, you're looking them in the eyes, you're checking out body language, but then you just. You, you, you want to compare candidates. How do you do that? I think that, you know, you, you want to pay attention to the laws that are specific to your state. So that's the first thing, because there are recording laws and you need to get consent from folks. Um, you know, there are things that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to, um, to pull out of a audio recording. That's why doing a phone interview, they're not always effective. Yeah. So, um, that would be something that I would just keep in mind. You know, the note taking thing, it can be a challenge. Usually what I say to a candidate is, 
that this time is really important to me and we're really excited about this position and we want to make sure that we're making the right decision for you and for our organization so I'm going to take notes and I hope that um, you don't mind that and usually especially if you've got multiple people in there you can ask the question engage in the conversation maintain eye contact and then when it goes to the next person you can take notes plus if everybody's in there everybody's taking notes so ideally you've got a set of interview notes that's as complete as you can get it it doesn't have to be verbatim we're not doing an investigation um, where we need to have very very detailed notes we're just kind of jotting down notes that are going to help us remember um, especially if you're interviewing across multiple um, candidates so I think video and audio it's absolutely something you could do I'm not aware of anything that would would have that be illegal um, just depending on the state that you're in just ensuring that you have consent than anything. yeah it might be I mean it it makes me think a little bit about you know if, if someone was being deposed for for a lawsuit yeah. those are often um, video recorded and it's it, it could make somebody really uncomfortable and the what you want is for them to be comfortable so they're open and honest and it might be off-putting to someone so just I would keep that in mind too when you're making that decision how many rounds of interviews would you do it it really depends on the position but I, I think probably two is enough I think if you've done a in phone person. screen yeah two in person is probably enough and if you have the right people involved in the first interview and you have a balance of competency-based questions and culture-based questions, I really think that's that's enough. If you feel like you have enough information to make a decision, I think you'd move forward then to the, the hiring stage where you've made the conditional job offer and done whatever pre-employment screening, whether it's background check, drug screen, reference check, and, and you're moving forward with that. So, For a key position, would you do anything above and beyond what you would normally do for an entry-level position, let's say. Yeah, I think there are, there are some things you could do for a key position. If you have a board of directors, having the, the person meet with your board of directors, I think that that's something that can be really helpful. Um, you just want to make sure you have the right stakeholders involved in that and be thinking about and maybe even working with an attorney or your legal support on um, if you are getting to, to a place where you're going to be making a job offer, um, sometimes those positions um, the candidate might require that there's some type of contract of employment, so making sure you're set up and prepared to negotiate the terms of that. Um, but I do think, you know, it's skill competency-based and skill-based, and um, you may ask, depending on the position, to see some type of portfolio of work, um, but usually folks in, in those positions are going to come prepared to share with you um, their success and, and what they've done in their career. So. Um, I think just making sure that you're taking the time and and ensuring that you've you know asked the right questions and got all the information so you can make make the right decision. Hiring somebody at a high level, C level, VP level, and making a poor hiring decision there that can have an enormous effect on the culture of your business. So um, it can be really detrimental. So similar to how we're going to end it here, what's a good way to end an interview? I think making sure that. Candidates know what to expect, what's next. So if it's at the very beginning stages, let them know that. If you have more people that you're interviewing, let them know that. I always ask people, are you considering other offers? Because right now with the market, the way it is, people are getting scooped up before you've even had a chance to make an offer. So is there anything that you're considering? And just let them know the time frame. Make sure they've had an opportunity to ask questions during the interview. So if you, they've done it throughout, great. If they haven't, give them a chance to do that at the end. Thank them for their time. Um, and just stay in communication. Make sure that if you've taken the time to bring someone in to have a conversation, that you take the time to let them know your decision too. 
So, and usually that doesn't happen in person. Usually that's something that happens either through email or, or through um, a letter that's sent out. Well, Lacey, it's been fun, and yeah. I appreciate you letting me bounce all over the place with this topic. It is a fun topic, and because employers are going through interviews so much, I felt like this is a very timely topic. Me so too. if you have any resources that we could publish alongside of this, and I think the listener would be appreciative of that. Um, any links or resources that you can think of? For you know, there's lots of great information out there about hiring. I think we've got some articles, too, on our blog that we could probably link yeah, to. Um, and some tools and resources that we have um, that we've created through some of our trainings. Also, um, for those that are interested, anyone that's listening, Zenium does two different hiring trainings throughout the year. Our intelligent hiring training, which is really focused on um, getting people the basic skills to be um, able to set up a hiring process and our strategic interviewing training, which we've had a lot of great feedback on, some great tools. So, Lacey Halpern, thank you. As You're always. welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you went to iTunes, gave us a five-star review. And either way, if you uh, have feedback for us, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. If you want more information on guests, the host, or about any other content, please go to www.zeniumhr.com. That's www.zeniumhr.com. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is produced by Zenium Resources, Inc., all rights reserved. For information on guests or for interview requests, please visit www.zeniumhr.com or email info at zeniumhr.com. Everything on this show should be considered educational and informational only and not personal advice. Please consult with the appropriate tax, legal, or business professional for individualized advice.